Hey guys, welcome back to Tour Day Force. Here we are on episode three. I think this is the best episode so far. I hope you guys have enjoyed the other two. And now enjoy listening to Chris Collins, the coach of THA. Chris, go ahead and say hi. Um, how's it going, guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's first podcasts are awkward for everyone, I feel like. Um, even this one being my third one is like still kind of bizarre. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start with your hockey career? And Tyler's telling me that you have an interesting like end to your story and your career. Well, I mean, I would say definitely career in quotation marks, right? You yeah. Know, just, um, basically, parents um, grew up back east. Mom's from Pennsylvania. My dad's from Boston. And so by the time... I was about four or five. They just kind of put me in skates, took me to the local rink. Um, growing up in L.A., it wasn't, you know, the biggest, most popular sport um, out there. Um, you know, with neighbors playing, let's say, baseball or, you know, soccer, a lot of soccer players. Um, and just grew up in Southern California. Was fortunate to play um, for some really good coaches. Um, Peter Torsion being one, I think he runs the Burbank Bears now. Okay. Um, does a great job. He, he does a really good job at 14 U, 16 U, uh, placing players in prep schools and in programs all over the country. Um, and then a guy named Jocelyn Langlois, who was French Canadian, really funny guy. Um, and he was probably my first introduction into, let's say wanting to get better. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, he he had what the nineties two thousands the dope bull right um, as he would call it a modern day toe drag, <laughs> um, and I think I was about ten or eleven, and I told my mom I just want to get better, and she was like find a coach and you know I was fortunate and I grew up in a home where you know financially we were able to, she was able to support me and in, in, in doing this and so he was like my first skills coach right. Um, and so I'd drive out to Valencia on that new rink about two, three times a week to go see him. And yeah, that was kind of it until I want to say about midget hockey. Um, grew up playing in Valencia. Didn't really play in that Junior Kings organization. Didn't really play in the Ducks organization. Grew up in Van Nuys. So I, Valencia was my home rink until I want to say midget 16 when Jocelyn went to West Valley Wolves. And I ended up following him, thinking, whatever, it's about 10 minutes away from my house. You know, unlimited ice. Like, yeah. you know, it was pretty cool. Um, we would do stick times in the morning, you know, team practice in the evening, um, go to school in between. So it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty neat setup. Um, I want to say 18s, U18. Didn't really know too much about junior hockey. Um, got to about U18s and then got an opportunity to go to Texas. Um, and I want to say the team was called the Texas Attack back then. Um, and didn't really, didn't really work out. Um, so I went back to Southern California. Uh, basically got told, hey man, could make any team uh, in the country, just not this one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was a pretty cool experience though, you know, never really being recruited. Um, it was kind of the first time a guy had reached out to me. I'd gotten invited to Globals in Vancouver. I think mm -hmm. back then it was Invite. Um, it was it was a really cool event. And the guy courted me, um, would text me, call me during class. You know what I mean? It was like a really neat event. Like, I'd never been like, 
told I was like good at something, <laughs> you know, by anyone else but my parents. Um, and then ended up going, I want to say I was like, it was the same, it was the following summer, went to a Vancouver, it was Vancouver Giants camp in the WHL. And that's when I really saw what the next level was. And that was intimidating. You know, and I remember okay, just but- like, yeah, just being so scared, you know, just, I mean, some of these guys that were, you know, I'd see their helmets and I remember being like a, what, double A hockey player in Southern California, um, with this amazing opportunity. I don't even know how I, how I got in, how I ended up at this place. Right. <laughs> um, and just training with just these athletes that really, you know, they really gave a shit, <laughs> you know, all of them, um, from watching their calories to, um, you know, really take like. Uh, taking yoga seriously you know what I mean I was like 16 like yoga back home was like oh you know who does that right and like here we are doing 45 minutes of yoga at I want to say it was like 2 p.m um and it was like actually like wow this is beneficial you know I really see how how, how much this can help me mm-hmm. um and that was a pretty cool experience then again went back to Southern California um after that summer um, I want to say it was Comox Comox Island um, beautiful place. Uh, and then as every story would go, um, I was about 18. Um, this is what I kind of lead into what uh, I tell a lot of my players now, current players, um, was out on a Friday night, um, and went to a party and got into a vehicle that I should not have gotten into and gotten a car wreck and ended up tearing my thumb off and yeah, tore like it was wow. pretty gnarly. It tore all the way around, like from there all the way, um, and it just so happened it was Friday the thirteenth, thirteen days before I was actually going back east. Um, when I had uh, coach, I guess along the way, told me write as many emails as you possibly can. Right, so I was going to a showcase. Yeah. I want to say it was uh, Beantown or Chowder Cup, one of the two. Um, with some schools that like, hey, come watch me play, mm-hmm. you know, and then happened to get thirteen stitches in my thumb. So the 13 days go by, I'm like on the 14th day is like when I could fly out the latest. So I go to the doctor, we take the cast off, open it up, get the stitches out. And because it had been closed, it just was wide open still. And so I had to go another two weeks with it just being wide open. So I was unfortunately missed that opportunity. And then I kind of just, I got really angry at the game and through kind of a bitch fit, I guess you would call it, I would call it now. <laughs> um, and just said, you know what, I'm done. You know, this isn't fair. I've worked so hard, you know, and played a total victim of why have I put so much effort into this if, I don't know if it's not going to work out anyway. Mm-hmm. And kind of just gave up on the whole dream. Um, and then moved to Santa Barbara for about a year. And I'm not going to say it was the worst year of my life, but it was probably a decision that had I fully thought through, I would have just spent playing like junior B, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have, I mean, I would have like gone, just been like, hey, I'll go to Vancouver Island. You know what I mean? Just gone to any junior league, even the Western States at that point, um, instead of doing that. But ultimately, I'm really glad I had because looking back and watching and thinking about a lot of the coaches I had, I was really able to apply um, a lot of their kind of messages into my current role I guess you should say um and then obviously your boyfriend Tyler kind of tying into that when I got back into hockey mm-hmm. uh, meeting him here 
um, in Tahoe, um, and just just going to stick times, getting back on the ice, you know, seeing where maybe where I what I saw a lot in him um, that I remembered about myself was how hard he worked at being better. You yeah, know what I mean? And yeah. it wasn't like it was compete was high, even if a kid was. I'm not going to say better than him because that's not really fair because nobody, I don't think, is really that much better than him. But if they brought their A game, right, I mean, he was going to bring it no matter what your A game was, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I just remember watching him, working with him, and just being like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool watching this kid, you know? Um, And then meeting him, obviously, in town. Yeah. So how did you end up in Tahoe then? Um, So after hockey, Santa Barbara... Moved to San Francisco and worked on commercial fishing boats. Um, that was a wild ride. Um, you know, a lot of, and this is, again, this just sounds crazy, but you're on the middle of the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. You have you have your job to do. Um, your, your, your co-worker, your, da- your da- other deckhand has his job to do, right? Your skipper has his job to do. Yeah. So you kind of almost have like a team-esque, um, right, um, kind of element where you're all depending on each other, but you all have to be independent, you know? So my skills of either timing, let's say leads of rope that's coming up, right? Um, making sure the boat on the back end is able to move smooth. So the guy in the middle running the, the block or doing whatever they're doing is able to keep their job going. So now we can get through as many pots as possible in one day mm-hmm. to try to make as much money, right? So it's kind of like a team in hockey where you know, no matter what happens at this pot, right, every shift, the next pot is going to be very different, just like the next shift is going to be entirely different, Mm -hmm. right? And so the more I was working on these boats, the more I had time to kind of daydream, you know, and really just like, just start cultivating a new dream, you know, And, and as weird as it sounds, it was on the back deck that I started really thinking about hockey again, and just like, obsessing over it and you know literally having not much else in san francisco to do other than party and waste a lot of money (laughs) and a lot of time i also had a lot of time on the ocean to just daydream um i went to a san francisco bulls game one night and i remember watching and i was like geez these guys are not that much better than what I remember the highest level of competing against guys was right yeah not saying like oh, I'm gonna go lace them back up right <laughs> but it made me think like you know can I play can I still skate you know let mm-hmm. me go let me just go give this another go um and so I must have been 23 20 23 24 and I started playing in the Oakland men's league started going to stick times um, and the wildest thing was I would go fish. We'd leave at midnight. We'd go till the following night. At, like, we'd get back in around 6, 7 p.m., right? We'd tie up. I'd go and I'd play in my men's league game that night at 10 p.m., <laughs> come back to the boat <laughs> at, like, midnight, get up at 6 a.m., yeah. and then we would go and unload the, the crabs the very next morning. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. it was just, I, I started obsessing again. Any time of free time, instead of going to the bars, I was going to the rink. Any free time, um, instead of going to the bars, I was going to the gym so that I can get back into shape to then go back to the rink, you know? Um, Then I met my now wife, Whitney, um, and I was still still a little wild, right? Um, And I didn't really know what I was doing 
um, with my life at the time. Like I was at this weird crossroads in this fishing career, right? Also yeah. quotes, right? <laughs> um, where my uncle trusted me enough to where he wanted to start going into me running his boat, mm-hmm. right? But I didn't. I started having almost the same doubts that I remembered having when I was playing hockey as the fear of failure, you know? And I almost feel like meeting Whitney and then having her tell me that she was moving to San Francisco, um, or sorry, moving to South Lake Tahoe for a year to snowboard. You know, she's just finishing up her master's. She's way smarter than I am. Um, <laughs> finishing her master's degree. You know, when we started dating, little funny little side note, I remember um, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, this girl has it all together, right? Let me go, like, find my retainers. <laughs> and I started searching through, like, my suitcase, right, that I still lived out of on the boat. And then I just go find, like, my retainer case. And I'm, like, trying to put this thing back in. <laughs> you know what I mean? This thing's killing my head. And, like, for, like, a week or two, I just gave it a go. And then I just said, like, no, never mind. This, this hurts too much. <laughs> but um, anyways, so me, Whitney, she tells me she's moving to South Lake. I go, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I almost feel like I kind of ran away um, from this other you know, near success, um, literally in order to, to kind of just go start new, um, and then hopefully find another new, I guess, passion project. Um, and then, yeah, I got to South Lake. Nice. <laughs> and then I want to say we, we lived in Tahoe city. And so I would drive, I had a Honda Civic hybrid. It was a terrible car. And I would drive every single day to South Lake. So it was about an hour drive in the winter. Um, and would go to stick times and met Van, right? yeah, rank guy. Um, and then not rank guy, the, the, the owner of the rank, right? Um, great guy. Um, and then met the Monroes, Dave Monroe and Brenny Monroe. Brenny must have been about a mite or a squirt then. And Dave is an amazing guy, he's a veterinarian, um, and like enrolls himself in goalie camps, <laughs> you know what I mean? As like a 45 year old. Man, you know, to, to, to literally learn more to then give back as a goalie coach in this small community, right? But it's just awesome watching him go out there and just get his ass kicked. <laughs> you know what I mean? With like yeah. 15-year-old kids. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and then just kept staying involved at the rink. Um, I want to say I went to a St. Baldrick's event and met the Dills, met the Sontags, met like just a lot of... Everyone. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Just like kind of at the local... Um, a hockey community, as you will, here in town. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I just intertwined myself. I forced myself back into it, I guess. Um, worked back in the rink, um, learned how to Zamboni, um, sell corn dogs, um, clean bathrooms. <laughs> you know what I mean? I did it all. Um, you know, and literally it was all just to kind of recreate myself because I didn't really like who I had become in that. I'm not religious, but I'll say purgatory-ish mm-hmm. um, time period of just daydreaming on the back deck of a boat, you know, hanging out with a bunch of crazy human beings who I admire, you know, who work very hard and break their backs every day to, to make a living. Um, you know, for those four or five years I did that, um, you know, and then, yeah, I owe a lot to them, uh, taught me a lot, you know. Um, some of them fired me, and it was some of the best days of my life. Like, <laughs> yeah, I worked for a homeless guy once. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, his name is Brent. I'll tell the story just because he has to be dead. Okay. Like, he has <laughs> to be dead. So um, there was a year where um, 
I was working with Danny. Uh, and he had this boat called the Trolley. They named it after the dock. Um, and his son was named Max. Max was huge computer geek, really cool dude, straight edge guy. Um, probably one of the worst wingmen, um, <laughs> but great guy, right? Um, and so I was working for Danny. We were crabbing together. It was great. It was going really well. Him and I were getting along really well. Um, and we, we went salmon fishing. My aunt didn't want to hire me because she wanted to pay me. Um, how's it going, Tracy? Um, and yeah, so my uncle goes salmon fishing. Brent goes salmon fishing. And Brent had this boat, M&M. And he had it underneath the seat. It was homeless, but not hopeless. Right? Yeah. And he was my next door neighbor on, on the dock. So I lived in my uncle's boat. Brent lived over here. And he was just crazy. Drank about a gallon of vodka a week. Um, get on the boat. And well, let me backtrack. Working with Danny. Danny's son wants to go fishing. Mm-hmm. Right? He's like, oh, this is an area I just want to start doing. And, um, and so Danny goes, hey, man. You know, we go on our first fishing trip, come back about a week later, and he goes, hey, I just don't think this is going to work out. And I'm like, oh, that's such a bummer, you know, because it's a really good setup, really nice, comfortable boat. Um, and then I found myself with nowhere to work, nowhere to live, because I was living on my uncle's boat, and he was about to go fishing. So Brent comes off the back deck, and he was like, all right, kid. And I was like, yeah? He goes, I'll give you a job. <laughs> and I don't think this guy's boat had left the dock in about eight years. You know, his bilge pump went on about every 20 seconds. So, long story short, we get on, I get on his boat, we t- untie, going up to Fort Bragg. Um, joke about Fort Bragg is the hottest, or the, the hottest girl in town is last year's prom queen and she's pregnant. You know, it's just a, it's a desolate town that you, I believe it used to be big on logging and then that shut down. And so then it went to fishing and then that shut down. And so it got pretty uh, desolate for a little bit. Um, so go up to Fort Bragg, first night there, I go out, Danny's up there, I go out with him, Danny, his son, Max, Danny looks at me, he goes, hey, just got a phone call, I go, yeah, he's like, don't freak out, I was like, okay, he goes, Brent just burned his boat down, <laughs> I'm like, what, and he goes, he started a grease fire, he's making coffee, passed out drunk, started a fire, caught fire in the dock, and they luckily they found him, they put it out, but everything's and all of our stuff was gone. It was just Shit. just burnt up, right? <laughs> and so I'm standing in this bar at like maybe like one AM just going like, Oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? So ended up leaving Brent's boat, got on a different boat. Um, this guy named Jason on the Will and Nina. Uh, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was kind of that was just a small kind of story like the uh just kind of the the adversity right that you're you're just always going through yeah. you know um you have days where you, you'll catch 100 fish then you have weeks where you won't catch anything where you have to listen to other people on the radio catching making money you know and yeah. here you are going geez how much is this boat eating up we gotta pay the boat now you know so there's just little things that like I said before, I would just daydream and, and kind of relate to and then really tried to figure out what would get me back. And that was meet my wife and then her telling me, well, there's a rink in Tahoe, let's go. Um, and then went up and kind of the rest is history. Put myself with the Icemen in the Western States and then uh, been with Tahoe probably ever since.
Do you want to move down? Sure. <laughs> Thank you. How's it going, Tracy? How are you? Sorry, interrupt. Sorry, we just had to switch rooms. I am podcasting at my boyfriend's house, and there's 800 people here all the time. So um, let's go ahead and pick up with the creation of Tahoe Hockey Academy. And I know you from working at the ice rink mm-hmm. together. Yes, is that how you met Leo and JJ and that whole group? Yes. So, <laughs> um, what is this? is this? Are these pickles? Yeah. Oh, okay, this is really vodka or something. You know, I don't know. Awesome. Um, sorry. Um, so yeah, so yeah, let's, let's go to 2016. Met JJ. So working at the rink, um, I think I was giving. I want to say I was giving somebody lessons and JJ was on the ice and he just asked me, he goes, Hey, like, what are you a coach here? What do you do? And I said, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm a rink employee trying to hustle 20 bucks. <laughs> um, and basically he was like, Hey, well, you know, I run a camp. Um, do you think that would be something you'd be interested in, you know, helping out with? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was kind of a weird transition because, you know, obviously I was working at the rink, um, and then I was gonna have to work at the camp too, so, so so yeah. So I I worked at the rink, um, and that's when I met JJ. I was sharpening skates and I was giving lessons, um, and then met him on the ice. And he goes, "Hey, do you want to work at a camp?" And I said, "Dude, that'd be awesome." Um, you know when is it? And he was like, "Oh, here are the dates." Uh, and and yeah, kind of the rest was history. That's when I met Mike Lewis who was at the time the athletic director, still, not at the time, um, but, like, when I met him, right, he was like, oh, hey, I'm Mike Lewis, I'm the athletic director. <laughs> um, and at the time, he was, you know, obviously, I grew up in Southern California. Michael Lewis was a local legend, right, mm-hmm. um, with the California Wave, obviously being one of the big powerhouses in, um, I'd say, the hockey world, um, especially in Southern California, um, you know, made made a name for himself in between two big NHL franchises, right? The Ducks, um or I shouldn't say the Ducks, I don't think the Ducks were really that big back then. But it was uh the Kings and the Sharks, you know? Um so for him to to have the success that he had in Southern California to come out of California and then play like teams like Mission, um, Team Wisconsin, um, you know, some of the other big known um powerhouses in the country. Um, as a California team was huge, you know, and so for him to be the athletic director, I was like, dang, like, like this is pretty cool, right? <laughs> so I get to talk with Mike Lewis um, on the phone. Um, he hired me for the summer, and then after the summer was over, he ended up extending his offer um, into the season and asked if I'd like to be an assistant coach. Um, at that point, I said, absolutely. Um, I was coming off the year of working with the Tahoe Iceman in the Western States, and I didn't see it really working a second year yeah. um, in that environment, you know, um, and, and, and fortunately for me in my life at the time, this opportunity arose, um, and obviously met Eric Larson <laughs> um, through there, <laughs> right, uh, Zach Dill um, played for us, um, but you know, and, and then kind of this idea, right? So kind of, I guess, 
talking more about Mike Lewis and, and, and his kind of background, which, which plays a role in, in my life, right? Um, is, I don't know if you know this, but he, he grew up, like, when he started coaching, he was working with the Turcots. Okay. Um, yeah, which yeah. is an extremely creative, crafty, um, intelligent hockey family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with just, I mean, numerous amounts of successful players that come out of, with that name. Um, and if they're not successful players, they're, they're successful coaches, right? Um, giving back. And, and the reason why I go into that is because in order for Mike Lewis to have had success with a wave team in between the Sharks at the time um, and the Junior Kings uh, and, and obviously Ducks too, um, you have to be thinking about development. You know, you really have to have your brain set on it's either going to be my players within their system have to become better, right, individually for my system to find success. And that's really what he brought to our practices when I met him. That's really what he brought to every single conversation, you know, um, we would have. It was always around what can we do to get these kids better. And then with that, my first year, I, I ended up, I just got, like I said, I get hyper-focused. I get obsessed um, to my own fault to where my wife hates it. You know, I'll be <laughs> up late just watching hockey TV and, you know, whether it's a BC game, an AJ game, an NO game, an OJ game, whatever it is, um, you know, maybe it's nationals from two years ago, right? Um, you know, she just goes, geez, can you just, <laughs> like, come on, we got kids here to raise too. Um, you know, but really with Mike Lewis's development in hand, it, it, it put me obsessed with the game. Um, I found a site called The Coach's Site, which is a great resource, I think, for players and coaches. Um, and any kind of question I had, right, was answered on that site. So our development model... <laughs> Um, so let's kind of talk about most AAA teams, right? I want to say it's close to most AAA teams will practice two, maybe three days a week, right? Um, sorry to some of those that practice four or five, right? Cause I know, <laughs> I know some of those guys are out there. Um, but may, let's say Southern California, two, three days a week. Um, a lot of the practices are based around how do I make this team better, um, show better, look better, and ultimately just you know, play within a system, right? Um, so it'll be anywhere from neutral zone regroup, flow drills, to breakouts, to um, D-zone coverage, to power play, right? Special teams. Um, and if you're a player who finds himself, who's a confident skater, great on their edges, finds himself in situations where they should be scoring goals, but they're not, and yet that's your practice framework... And your motto is, you get better when you come to privates with me a fourth, fifth day outside of the three days I'm already with you. You found yourself in kind of a failed system, right? True. You kind of go like, wait a minute. How did, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday help me for Sunday when here I am again in situations where I should be burying a puck or where I'm finding myself with great shooting opportunities and yet I'm shooting muffins or, you know, pucks aren't getting on net or the one thing that happens is everybody's blocking my shot, right? Mm -hmm. But yet none of those areas are addressed Monday, Wednesday, or Friday leading up to your games, you know. But you're one of the fastest skaters on the ice, right? So you go through your flow drills amazingly. You know what I mean? You show well on Monday against, you know, some of your own teammates, but then 
you know, Sunday happens and where are you? You know? Um, and so while being obsessed, right? Um, I don't remember who I was listening to, but it was a scout, I want to say it was, who was talking about just how skilled um, every single rookie is now in the NHL. Just how skilled they are. Like, they're, they they may outskill, um, you know, some of the, the veterans, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to say this is what they said, but, you know, let's throw Crosby out there. Um, but the difference, he says, is is the vets understand how to utilize those skills, right? And then when I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness. You know, if you're not teaching the how, the why, the when, right? But yet you're teaching a kid to stick handle and to do all these neat nifty things, but they don't understand why they're doing it or when this applies to them in their game. You're not truly developing them, right? Like, yeah, they look cool doing it on social media, but if they're not out there able to translate that skill that you just worked on on Monday or Tuesday into Sunday or Saturday or Saturday or Sunday, um, what have you really done, right? You know, you, you, you collected a couple bucks. <laughs> Congrats, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you picked up a few more followers on your social media. Congrats. Um, but that was the biggest, I think, disconnect that I saw. Um, and then our model, THA model, is nine months. Um, five days a week on the ice, right? Um, and, you know, close to 50 games um, a season. So what this allows us to do, and I call it the two-season method, is it allows us to work on fundamental skill sets throughout the year, right, to get us to our playoffs. Um, obviously, we have structures. Um, we have ways we play the game based upon where the puck's located, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once playoffs end... Um, I believe every player has their second season, which to me um, outshines everyone's first season, right? Nationals, going to nationals is amazing. It's great. Um, but it's the opportunities, right, that you get out of going to nationals that you really want. You know, so it's the showcases, it's the main camps, it's the pre-drafts, it's being drafted, it's combines, it's showing well, right? So... What we do is we then create a second program that allows our players to now focus on their second half of the season, their showcases, their main camps, everything um, from mental preparedness to, you know, skill set development, you know, whether it's um, shooting, skating, you know, battling, keeping your compete level high. So when you go to these showcases, you're not just, you know, you're not just falling into the system. You're not just falling into, you know, here, look at me do a breakout when breakouts are really not what I don't believe what scouts are really looking for yeah um you know when you go to your combines right they're looking at you know how do you attack red ice um what are you doing when you on your zone entries you know they're looking at you as a defenseman like how are your indirect passes you know how are your you know let's say uh um indirect one-timers you know um how are you creating offense from the blue line right like how are you creating offense blue line down um, you know, just little things, walking your line, right? Um, uh, you know, and that's more of skating. That's more repetition training um, than, let's say, double regroups, special teams, um, you know, focused practices. Um, again, I, like I said before, I believe the second half is the most important half of every single youth hockey player, right? Um, who dreams and aspires to playing junior hockey and then ultimately college hockey. 
I like that. It sounds like you guys have a good model there at THA. Um, what is your guys' record with moving kids on to the next level? So having only been four years going on five years old right now, we have um, about a handful of players in the USPHL. We had Eric Larson, obviously, go NCDC. Um, we have Tyler McNeil last year who went Ontario Junior League, who was just tendered to uh, the Texas Brahmas this summer. Um, we had Kate Schiefelbein, a player um, out of Arizona Mission AA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a kid who came to us and he was a third, fourth line grinder, six foot four, I want to say about 180, um, you know, turned himself into a lanky, skilled power forward who learned how to utilize his body and his size you know, to find offensive success. Mm-hmm. Um, he's playing uh, tender this year, NCDC. Jacob Nordorf, who went, um, he was actually our first player to go to national camp um, last year in Buffalo. Um, he got tendered this year in the, in the National Collegiate Development Conference. I want to say to Utica Comet. Um, Leon Biller last year went Western States to Valencia. Um, I want to say he had, he had close to 47 um, I want to say 47 points in that league. Um, we had Holt Schwarm, who is in the EHL, and he went to, oh man, the New England Wolves. Um, we have Dun- Bryce Dunnigan, Cameron Dunnigan. Um, he goes by his middle name, his first name. I just call him Dunny. Dunny. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, he's going to, I want to say, the Lansing Wolves. We have a very high success rate of moving our players, our seniors, and our juniors on to junior hockey, which I just want to state for being only a high school team um, and in the state of California compared to the Ducks, the Junior Kings, the Reign, um, I believe our program is very comparable. Yeah. Um, the one difference I would love to kind of get out there is most of our players that move on to junior hockey have actually come to us from single A and double A programs. Um, they're not players that have, let's say, grown up in traditional AAA, CompuWare, Junior Kings, um, Bobcats organizations, right? These are kids that are possibly overlooked, um, underdeveloped because coaches don't want to spend their practice times, you know, let's say working on a player who can't engage his left foot's outside edge, but can do it on his right foot, right? That's not for him to do right now because I have a team to develop. You know, which in my mind, I'm sorry, I'm going to call it, I just call it BS. Yeah. You know, um, I believe that there are tons of late bloomers out there. And I believe there's a lot of late bloomers out there who, given the right environment, um, not saying it has to be Tahoe, right? But given the right environment where skill development and kind of caring about your players is, is your number one priority, um, I believe actually have a greater shot than let's say a kid who's been drafted in the Bantam draft, um, allowed to make, um, you know, reckless decisions, but because he's good and puts up points, you know, he's allowed to get away with bad culture, um, kind of, um, what am I saying here? Tendencies, um, characteristics, right? Um, you know, and it's those types of players that get overlooked and then not really helped. You know, because they're allowed to kind of go those routes. Um, but yeah, so I would say for California hockey, um, I'm, I'm not going to say we move the most players on, right? But 
I will say that we have a really good record with moving A and AA players onto the junior rankings that a lot of AAA players um, aspire to. And how is the scouting going during coronavirus? <laughs> kind of so, sucks that you guys didn't get to finish out the season there and stuff. So no, actually, we did. Oh yeah? So we had a wild year. Um, this year in particular was a very special year for me. Um, just based on the fact that we had our first year, this is our first year we came off with a player going to national camp. Um, we had probably one of the highest or best recruiting seasons we had had. Um, you know, with players who moved on last year, we filled in a lot of gaps that we thought were going to be um, great, right? Um, the biggest thing, and this is where I failed, um, was I started off the year too soft, right? I had kids that I assumed knew more because they were coming from AAA programs. And I'm not saying like I am some, I'm some genius, right? I'm not. I'm a thief, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I I overextend myself to try to learn and and kind of pick apart what I believe players truly need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on the individual, um, and again, it comes from. Just watching, 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 listening, 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 reading, reading, reading. Um, so, remember the question again? Sorry. <laughs> Scouting. <laughs> Scouting. With Corona Corona. So, <laughs> yeah, it came off a decent year. Um, assuming the kids knew too much. Um, oh, man, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> All right, so I'll start again. So, scouting of coronavirus, it's. Scouting in the past, I use hockey TV a lot. Um, and so coronavirus, what it has done ha- is it, it's our most powerful tool in recruiting is bringing players here, mm-hmm. having them check out the dorms, having them get on the ice with us, having them tour the facilities um, and then touring the school, right? Um, and just meeting us. And with coronavirus this year, we were unable to bring players here. Um, generating leads for our program, I've utilized hockey TV a lot, right? I don't want to give out all my secrets. <laughs> um, but I watch a ton of hockey TV and call me crazy, but I look for the second, third, fourth line players where when you see a confident skater who's not a confident puck carrier, um, you just see a kid who, who just needs who needs his tires pumped, Right? Um, you need a kid who, who, if you see a player who doesn't drive to the net, right, and always goes wide, um, you see a player that, that just really needs edge work. You know, he doesn't have the confidence to either cut back, um, he doesn't have the confidence to sell something, to buy ice, right? He just goes, oh, I must drive wide, drive wide, drive wide, then gets handcuffed, angled off behind the net, turnover, now you got to back check. And, you know, there is one thing I remember about hockey, I hated back checking. So you always want to try to at least create something off every entry, right? Um, I always tell my guys, like, try to at least create five, four to five good scoring opportunities um, on on an entry, right? Or, you know, on your entries. Um, whether that's you just throwing the puck at the net, you know, um, down by a few. Um, or it's you really trying to just dictate and, 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 and run, your, run your routes. Um, but, yeah, no... Recruiting has been definitely difficult with not being able to bring kids here. Yeah, I bet. 
Um, I know that you have a nice setup here in Tahoe. Your wife has a job here, your family's here, but do you ever see yourself moving on to a higher level of coaching, saying like juniors or maybe college? You know, that's a tough one. Um, I do like the setup I'm in, obviously. You know, I think the crazy thing, you know, it's it's always, life's wild, you know. Um, it's easy to want, right? Yeah. And then you get it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, oh, wow, that this is what I wanted, you know. And with every want comes a bad day, right? Mm-hmm. And then you got to remind yourself, this is really what you want. Um, with that being said, you know, obviously I toy with the idea of maybe going back to junior hockey. Um, I'm not sure pay to play, um, you know, obviously the dream, right, is NHL, um, potentially NCAA, um, you know, working the the routes up. But what I love about where I am is the age group. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like... I just get to make a bigger impact on players who aren't as confident with themselves. Not saying call, every college player is confident in their abilities and, you know, but they're, I believe when you've gone to college and you're playing at that level, you're, to some extent, you either have the skill and not the mental side of it, right? And you can compete at that level or you wouldn't be competing at that level, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're in high school, there's kids that, on certain days have the potential to compete at that level but then make decisions that bring them back down that may say hey you're not going to play at the level right like their their actions aren't aligning with their goals right and mm-hmm. i feel like in high school age it's easier to help players realign themselves than you know let's say I don't know, making more of an impact on a player's life in a college level. I don't know. Yeah. You know, because don't get me wrong. There's plenty of coaches who make (laughs) very big impacts on players at the collegiate level, right? Mm -hmm. But I just feel like I fit very well at this age group right now. You know, I get my fix in the summer times of working with, you know, players that are competing at the collegiate level, you know. And I will say the one difference is... I'm not going to say for the most part, but, well, yeah, for the most part, they just work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just high intensity every single start of the whistle to the end of the drill. You know, and with high school kids, consistency is probably one of the hardest things to keep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in a prep program and you're practicing every single day and you have to keep practice kind of, you have to keep it with a purpose, but also... You want to, You don't want them knowing what's coming, right? Because then that kind of keeps it keeps the fun of practice, you yeah. know. Um, but it's it's difficult at the high school level keeping these kids engaged mm-hmm. every single day, right? Because they okay. have bad days. Um, like college players, these kids have breakups. They have they're living a thousand miles away from home, right? And their grandfather gets sick, right? Mm-hmm. And now you have a player that, but he wants to be tough, you know. Um, and that's when you really want it. That's when, that's when you have the opportunity to make your impacts, right? Yeah. Power play one is great. You know, winning is amazing, but the real opportunity, I believe for players to truly develop on the ice 
is when you make those relationships with them off the ice and they trust you, right? Because mm-hmm. if they don't trust you, they're not going to try what you tell them to do, you know? Yeah. And that's the biggest barrier you really need to have with these guys. If you're going to be, I believe, a successful coach, but also a successful coach where players are going to implement what you're coaching. You know what I mean? Because yeah, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that I believe, and I call it confusing noise with knowledge, who go out there and they yell, they yell at the ref, they scream at everybody, and, and they use these terms, uh, back check, gap up, um, you know, drive middle lane, but yet, on Monday you weren't talking about that. You know, on Tuesday you weren't talking about that. You know, when you had the opportunity to, to videotape your defenseman and they're skating... Right? You didn't. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yet now, now all of a sudden, you want to be the man. You want everybody to think you know what you're talking about. You're down by four. You know, and everybody's looking at you like, what are you doing? You know, gap up. How? Right? Um, something I you know, taught myself was, and I realized, was your shots against, right, in a game. And this is the way I try to break down hockey for our players in, in the program. Our shots against... Are, is direct gap control responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have in a game, let's say you get outshot two to one, right? But you lose in overtime. You go four four, lose five four in overtime, right? Um, next, you know, next day of practice or next the day after you guys get back, um, an area that I personally would address now would be our defenseman skating. Right, because if our if we're giving up our offensive zone gap, that means that for some reason when we turn pucks over offensively, we don't have enough confidence to step up and move in, right before mm-hmm. we retreat and 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 protect good ice, right? Um, that's a defenseman's skating confidence issue. That's not my team's D zone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not gonna punish everybody. And if we tied 4-4, losing overtime, we aren't shot that much. You know what? Like, number one, thank you, goalie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, number two, I'm not going to punish my forwards who obviously, you know, put some pucks on net and took advantage of their opportunities. You know, so we're going to maintain that at practice. Yeah. But we're definitely going to address our defenseman skating and understanding of what is our gap, right? Um and that's kind of a small little snippet, I guess, mm-hmm. into kind of the, the thought process of what we do at practice um, that I believe makes us a bit different, you know, than I'm not saying than every other program out there, but I believe makes us different than a normal program that practices two days a week, hoping to make it to nationals, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of those teams are great plug and play. Um, you have kids that come from already skilled backgrounds, put them on a team, you know, put them in a system, and it's awesome, mm-hmm. right? What happens when you get a kid who maybe isn't that good? You know, how do you make him better? And that's the true, I think, that's the true craftsmanship of a coach. It's not what you do with the great players. It's what you're doing with the guys in between, you know? Yeah, that's great. I wish I had a coach like that during my career, especially in that high school age, because I do feel like my boarding school coach was really a good salesman, good at picking good players to come to Mm -hmm. the school. And every year he would get better and better players, and you would fall down the line. He wasn't so good at developing the players that he had. That's the hardest thing, you know. Again, I have the time, right? Mm -hmm. Monday to Friday, um, August 
to what month to be around June? Yeah. August to like March, April, August to May. You know, so if your left skate isn't as strong as your right, you know, we have time to work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, if your fakes aren't as good, right, we have time to work on it, you know. Um, if your and plays, I mean, anything, anything, you know, we have time to work on. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not going to give out all the secrets, right? <laughs> but, you know, understanding just just the why factor again, you know, having conversations with your players, um, even when you're having fun out there, even when you're working on a skill, right? You just talk to them. Hey, where do you see this working? You know, where in your mind, where do you see this working? Are you, are you actually acting out a scenario or are you going through a drill? Mm-hmm. You know, and I believe every time you're out there and you have a rep, you have a new scenario to create in your mind to act out so that when that happens in a game and maybe you only got two shots, right? In the whole game and your second shot's about to happen and you shot a thousand pucks that week just to shoot two bucks in a game, mm-hmm. you know, but you've envisioned where that puck goes during the week. You just capitalized on what? Two shots in a game. You just capitalized, you know, mm-hmm. all because you put the Y factor in your Monday through Friday, you know, and like I said, we have the time to do it. So I take the time to do it. Um, it's, I think it's why. I personally have found a lot of success with players coming up to Tahoe, um, players wanting to come back to Tahoe in the summer, um, and guys, you know, calling me, texting me, going, hey, can we, can we get, you know, can we get some shooting in? Can we get this in? Um, and again, I'm not going to say like, oh, I'm some genius because I'm not, right? But what I have done is I failed a lot as a coach. <laughs> you know what I mean? I saw where maybe I didn't help this one person out as much as I could have and where now the next time around you know you really get to kind of learn from that experience um and give a little bit more Mm -hmm. um but yeah so that's it's it's a battle right because you have teaching kids new things is is tough right um especially in this day and age where everybody's so instant Mm -hmm. you know I mean the whole 10,000 hour method right um, I truly believe it, like, but a part of it, then in an aspect that I don't think people really count into that 10,000 hours is the mental side of it, you know, is a part of that is thinking it, you know, is seeing it before you do it. You know, that's why I believe a lot of the most elite athletes, um, you hear stories of them showing up hours beforehand, you know, they make the big buzzer beater and it's, it's, it's not that, you know, he went out to four o'clock in the morning you know, showed up to his game and just got out there, sweated bullets and just made the lucky shot because he's an athlete, you know, it's because he saw it, you know, and the same thing goes with with all sports, but. Okay, my next question for you is, and you can like say if this is like too much of a sensitive subject or too hard for this podcast right Mm -hmm. here, but your opinions on Black Lives Matter. I have seen okay. that you posted some yeah. stuff online about yeah. it. So do you want to... Absolutely. Um, this year, I guess the post I'm probably referring to, this year, so growing up, right? I guess I got to go back that far. Growing up, I was adopted um, mm-hmm. at, I want to say, two years old. Um, and was adopted into a white family. Um, I mixed, grew up, uh, grew up very you know, tan, uh, my parents are very white, my dad is very old, my mom was decently young, 
Um, so I had every all sorts of questions, right? <laughs> People look at us and I mean all sorts of of questions would arise, right? Uh-huh. Um, hang out with the babysitter. You know, a lot of times people think I was the babysitter's child, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, race was always kind of an interesting thing for me, myself. Um, I grew up playing hockey with a couple of black friends. Um, you know, I probably haven't talked to them in years, but Larry Pope was one of them out in Valencia. Um, Cameron Randles. I don't know exactly where he played. I know he played junior hockey and then went on to play in college. Um, and... You know, I don't, I'm not going to speak for them, obviously. Um, but then when I, when I ended up making that jump, race was always, was always one of those things that, you know, it was in the locker room. Um, but it was never, it was one of those things you just dealt with, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. So if anybody were to use the N-word in a song, it was always, well, it's just in a song. Um, you know, it's with an A, so it's not offensive. Um, you know... You'd hear, I personally would hear things like, but your parents are white, so what does it matter to you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was always these things. And then in my head, I'm like, well, you know, he's not wrong, but like, this isn't right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, that's not a very valid point. Um, I got it the most when I went to West Valley, uh, played on the West Valley Wolves, and we had this kid, his, lit, his name was Jeremy Zuniga. Z-U-N-I-G-A. He was probably one of the most talented hockey players. Just skilled, right? I mean, he was he was so cal to a T. I mean, dirty toe drags. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. extra. I mean, every entry was a sauce. Like, every breakout play. Like, you know, sauce. Unnecessary sauce everywhere. Um, and, but because of that, and this was like when I was working with Jocelyn and I too was starting to, you know, pick up like what I feel like was some skills, right? Um, it turned into a negative. Um, you know, we he would get called, you know, people would, would make jokes of his last name. Um, people would call us, you know, the Beaner Brothers. You know, they would just they would just say these these things, you know, you wetbacks, you beaners, mm-hmm. you know, and and because I was brown, right, again, there I am at this weird um, crossroads and funny little fact I grew up thinking I was Guatemalan right because I was adopted okay. found out I was actually um, Spain Spanish um, not Guatemalan uh, met my mom a couple years ago another story another day okay um, and so I took offense to it right not just my whole thing was why do we have to be whatever you want us to be right like mm-hmm. they would call us you dirty Arabs we had Armenians on the team um, they would get made fun of you know, there were times where even your own teammates are making fun of opposing teams and using racial slurs. And there you are in this weird element of being like, like, but what can I, what, what can you do? And that's how you truly feel. Like, mm-hmm. well, you know, and then, but you don't have time to think about it in the game, you know, even at that level, right? Especially at the, the pro level. Yeah. Um, I had a coach named Ryan Kravitz and he's Jewish and he would tell me stories of playing in, in Germany where they would just yell Judah Judah oh my gosh you know in, in the stands and, and it's not you know everybody goes black lives matter this is black versus white right and it's like and I, I hope this doesn't make an unpopular comment but it, it's not necessarily black versus white as it is you know you look at kind of the systemic issue of 
let's take for example the the war on drugs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Italians, Irishmen. Irishmen, I believe, at first were put in tenements, right? They're put in ghettos. Right? I hate saying that word. They're put in areas that are less desirable, right? Yeah. Then, and, and I might be going chronologically orderly wrong here, but then you kind of get Chinese coming in, Asians, right? Now you go, well, the Irish are kind of white, you know? So you're with us. Um, then you start looking at which drugs become illegal, right? Which neighborhoods are less desirable, right? And then you look at how much easier is it to police which neighborhood? I mean, which neighborhood are you going to get more police presence in, right? Yeah. Now you have 80 years of police presence more in this neighborhood than this neighborhood. You could have a black cop here. Mm-hmm. He is policing a prejudiced system. So when everybody goes, oh, look at that black cop. He's doing that. That's black on black. I can... You're not wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, this is also a misguided person in a system that's, you know, that's allowed to 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 run misguided, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I hear Black Lives Matter and obviously George Floyd, which is a terrible, terrible act, um, I also think of... Um, you know, other experiences, right? Like other people, uh, my own personal experience. And this was kind of crazy. So I went to a a school in in the, in the Valley called Crespi, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I switched schools mid year. Um, and I went to this other school called Fauche Academy. Um, it was another private school up in Turbo Boulevard on Tarzana. And what they did at that school, we were next to In-N-Out, um, and Hart was kind of, it was like 30 minutes up, I believe walking. Um, what we did was we had around an hour and 15, hour and 20, right? There was a Carl's Jr. and an In-N-Out. When you really wanted In-N-Out, you would gun it, right? And so I'm walking pretty fast. I'm by myself, just minding my own business. Um, and I think I was walking back to the school. So I'm coming down Ventura Boulevard. Next thing I know, I just lock eyes. I look, and there's a police officer, right? On the other side of Ventura, flips his switch, make his lights, hits a U-turn, comes around, drives up on the curb, jumps out and tells me to put my hands on my head and I'm just standing there and I'm going you know like like what is this over right I'm like I must have been 16 maybe I was 15 and I'm going like dude like what is this over you know and then so I look back and I don't remember exactly what I said oh I remember he told me to get my hands out of my pockets because I had my retainers in my hands (laughs) my hands in my pocket and I'm like kind of freaked out right because like the guy like I'm telling you the door swung open the guy over on the passenger side has a gun, and the other guy is just, I'm pretty sure he had a gun too, and they're just yelling, right? They're barking. That's so um, scary. Yeah, get, get down, like, put your hands in your back, put your hands in your back. So then they put me, they detain me, they put me in the back of the cop car, and I'm telling them, like, I go to the school, I go to the school, and they're telling me, we're taking you back to, 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 I lived in Van Nuys, I'm taking you to Van Nuys, you know, back to the barrio, and I'm just like, I'm like, all right, man. And, like, I used to make jokes, yeah. right? Like, because I was tired of it. And, again, I grew up thinking I was Guatemalan. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm not even Mexican. I was like, you idiots. And here's, again, here me. Here I am now probably, in a sense, partaking in the whole, you know, flawed thinking of racial. Um, I go, dude, I'm not Mexican. I, I'm Guatemalan, dude. I work inside. I clean houses. I don't freaking work outside. Are you kidding me? I don't know how to plant. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got work in the AC. Um and kind of taking light of the whole situation, but not really understanding kind of the magnitude of it, which is they wanted to take me to Van Nuys jail and just put me in as a kid that's um, ditching school, 
um, which, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm on my lunch, you know, take me to Foshay Academy, like, we've never heard of that school, you're making this up, you're just wearing this fake uniform, and I'm going, guys, like, I mean, like, all right, so fortunately for me, they ended up driving me to the school, um, they didn't get out, or they didn't let me out, they got out, went to the principal, um, come back out, and the guy goes, I just want you to know, for the record, I fucking hate you. And I just looked at him, and I'm like, that's cool. Undoes my cuffs, and then I just walked back into school. But the the hardest part of the whole thing, and I just dealt with this the other day, which was crazy, um, it, it, it was me making light of it, but also just being embarrassed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, here I am on Ventura Boulevard, and it was during lunch hour, like noon, right? There's a lot of cars. And there I am with my hands on my head and a cop car, on the sidewalk, right? Mm -hmm. And people are slowing down to see what's going on. And mind you, I was minding my own business. You know, I just eaten in and I'm going back to school. Mm -hmm. Like I got like chemistry to worry about, right? And to think like I'm making up the school I'm going to and to just really have like no regard of who I was, right? And so my whole thing with white privilege was I grew up with it when I was in the vehicle with my parents, right? Yeah. When I was with my parents, I had it. And I didn't understand that. When I was away from them, I didn't get it. And I actually got quite the opposite, you know, to the point where I'm telling them, guys, like, I play hockey, right? Like, like that's where I'm at in life, where I'm like, guys, I play hockey. My mom went to Princeton. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. those were my accolades that I taught myself to throw out there at people when I felt... Like, I was being cornered or judged or put into a put into a side, mm -hmm. you know? And then, so, yeah, when you hear Black Lives Matter, I believe, I mean, numbers don't lie. If opportunities were fair, <laughs> the numbers would be even. Mm -hmm. You know, I believe it's 50% right now. You have black males have 50% greater chance of being wrongfully accused of, like, a robbery. Right, it's like I believe fifty-five to sixty percent greater chance of being wrongfully convicted for a sex crime, you know. And it's like if these numbers were fair, Brock Turner's of the world wouldn't, you know, be looked at as well. He has a great kid; he has a lot to lose. But he was a pos, yeah, you know, taking advantage of a very inebriated woman behind a dumpster in a very disgusting way. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. yet, that's okay, you know, if a pimp in a ghetto grows up believing that disrespecting women and selling women is a right of his, right? And gets in trouble, he goes to jail, right? But then the Epsteins of the world just get to pay more money to have things go away. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like pimping is pimping is pimping. <laughs> so when I hear Black Lives Matter, I think of these, just these situations that that are happening to majority black men and then has a trickle-down effect to just prejudice other cultures as well you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so yeah i hear black lives matter and i go absolutely yes you know you know if you say all lives matter like you're, you're completely missing you're missing the i almost said the boldness the um you're just missing like the context you know yeah like if your dog was choking right here, like, your dog would matter a lot more than mine right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, I don't want my dog to die. <laughs> you know? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I hear Black Lives Matter, and 
and I just think, you know, it's it's for everybody, you know, and and it's it's wild because, you know, you just have all these people, and I don't know, you have COVID nineteen, Black Lives Matter, if if anything after COVID, I mean, what better time to just change some shit up? I mean, everything else is fucked up. Yeah, like, let's just change it all up. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why not? You know, there's always something new that starts and people go, you're an idiot. And, you know, when we started THA, you guys are dumb. That'll never work. You know, da, 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 da. Um, And now, like I said, four years later, we have players playing in great places. And again, they're not just playing places. They're finding success while playing in these Mm -hmm. places. Thank you for sharing all that. I know. I know some of those stories could probably be difficult to talk can, about. I hope you can edit all this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, my video for this week actually is a diversity video that uh-huh. I've been working on for the past three weeks. And I took time to reach out to people that I know and people that I don't know to mm-hmm. see if they wanted to participate in the video. And it's just, um, it's, about different genders, different sexualities, uh, income, race. And I got a lot of responses back that people were like excited about it, but they didn't feel comfortable talking about Mm. it. And then I got a few people that were brave enough to like put out what they had to say. And to be honest, I kind of thought it would be more positive that they would be like oh yeah like I am different than what you normally see for a hockey player uh-huh. and you know I fit in fine like everyone loved me everyone was great but it was like a horrifying su- story yeah surprisingly yeah. which and some of them are like people that I'm like really really good friends with so it is I think eye-opening to me because I haven't had to face all of that mm-hmm. stuff I think a lot of people what they forget right um is perception is reality, right? Like, yeah. Like, so, so I had a player this year, right, who I thought, in my mind, we had a good joke, right? Mm-hmm. It was an inside joke. Um, but then I found out, and I was so happy, I told, I told, I told the parent, right? Um, I said, hey, anything like this ever happens again, please bring it to me up like this, you know what I mean? Like, these conversations didn't happen. Um, but in his mind, I was bullying him. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And and I, I use that term very, very loosely here, right? Yeah. Um, so the joke was... Um, the joke was they they would always ask, what did you say, right? Mm-hmm. After I said something. And so I'd be like, wait, what? You know, and I'm just like, shh. <laughs> and so, um, so for a whole workout session, I just kept... Shh. Every time I'd pass by this player, shh. You know what I mean? It was like a joke. Yeah. And he laughed. You know, we're all laughing. Um... But again, there you are, again, there he is, hiding, you know, an uncomfortable situation, laughing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so, like I said before, it was brought to my attention that, you know, he didn't really, he didn't really like it, right? He was like, hey, I'm kind of tired of this joke. Yeah. You know? And so, in his mind, his perception was, hey, like, you know, is he, is this carrying on longer, right? Mm -hmm. My perception was, this is funny, this is an inside joke, right? Cool. You know, something with this player that's different than, you know, that one. Yeah. and yeah, so no, perceptions are realities. And just because I don't perceive it as this way doesn't mean that it isn't this way. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people face, you know, different things. And when people go, oh, is it because I'm whatever, fill in the blank. And 
and then somebody has a negative retort to that instead of being like whoa how did what's the truth in what you just asked me like you know what i mean did i just come off a certain way yeah um i don't think really gets looked at you know um and again why would it it's uncomfortable it's tough um and and just like skating getting uncomfortable and tough is good and i think right now with everything going on having these conversations getting uncomfortable um is really good right even if you can agree to disagree um having a conversation about what is right is right and what is wrong is wrong is is half the battle yeah you know what i mean just having the talk you know i had one with my neighbor who at first was extremely defensive she was like these protests are taking away from the point of what's going on and i'm not gonna say she was wrong i'm not gonna say she's right right but you know i could see why that is is something but i also wanted her to know that you can say that these what is happening as a result is wrong while the injustice system is also wrong <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i don't believe that that Target being looted, Quicksilver losing surfboards is great, is good, right? I don't. There's people losing their jobs because retail stores can't reopen, right? Mm-hmm. Terrible. But I don't... I still see the issue just as important, right? Like, the statistics we talk about are still there. Those are still real numbers. Mm-hmm. Those are still just as important, you know? So, it's... Like I said... Just like skating, it's uncomfortable, you know? So just like life, in order to get better at it, you got to get uncomfortable. You got to, and I tell my players this all the time, you got to go to a place and tell a bad joke and have nobody laugh. You know what I mean? And then just be like, it's okay, I survived that. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm okay. And and those conversations are good. So you, I guess back to the, to the neighbor, um, she's super defensive, we're talking, and I just kind of, you know, laid out my points. Um, she laid out hers. And we kind of just, we started seeing eye to eye. And the next day she came up to me, she goes, hey, Chris, you know, I just want you to know I was painting in my house at midnight last night. And I started thinking about what we were talking about. And I just want you to know how sorry I was. And I was like, what? And, and, and it wasn't like apologizing for anything she had said, right? Yeah. But she was like, I just can't believe that I never, that I never saw that the system was this flawed and because we applied it to her life, right? Mm-hmm. We started talking about um, public schools and 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 how they're funded by income, income tax, right? Yeah. And so if you take that into account, right, I don't care what neighborhood you live in. Let's say your whole community is white. There's going to be a demographic of that white community that has an unfair advantage. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just so happens that the U.S. and certain cities were those undesirable areas happen to be where they wanted to put all the African Americans. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, there's a reason why there's less opportunities in those neighborhoods, in those communities. Mm-hmm. You know? And then the worst part of it is, because nobody's been communicating and having these talks for however long, um, even the most people of political power are uneducated. You know what I mean? And so it's just, it's a huge trickle down effect of just being uneducated and being like whatever that doesn't apply to you because of this i'm not racist because i have a black friend you know what i mean yeah. i didn't mean it in that context i didn't mean it and and it's been okay because they say it they you know it's yeah so it's no and i was telling my wife this i go no why, why do we have, why why does it have to be okay now it doesn't it doesn't 
You know, stereotypes don't have to be okay anymore. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, shut up and play. No. <laughs> no. Why? <laughs> you know, if COVID taught us anything, it's... And what's funny is a lot of athletes are going, yeah, we don't have to play. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, no, we can get this right first. <laughs> yeah. Like, if we learned anything, we're, we can get this right. <laughs> you know? I believe the NBA had like an 80-player meeting. Um, I want to say it was Kyrie Irving who led it. And, I mean, there has been some controversial, I guess, uh, um, tabloids about it, right? Like, is he just going against the establishment, right? Um, But again, like, is that... Is that then again now trying to take away from an African-American man who's trying to go against a... I don't know, right? I don't know. I'm not going to say it is. I'm not going to say it's not. But I believe he he held an 80-player meeting and was like, hey... You know, we don't like we, we don't have to go to Florida. We can we can get this right first, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you it's know? the same thing with the Olympics. They sent out that petition, got it moved back a whole year. Really? Yeah, and the athletes did that themselves. Yeah, like I said, I like why not change now, right? Confederate mm-hmm. flag comes out of NASCAR. Like, are you kidding me? Like who would have ever thought it would come <laughs> out of NASCAR? You know, but again, why not? stop thinking that why would why would i why can't i get out of the thought process that that it doesn't need to be a nascar Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i don't have to think that way either you know Mm -hmm. so interesting fact about so my my biological mother's father his name was lonnie hewitt i mean he was an amazing jazz musician i believe he passed away um way too early Um, i guess it was some medical malpractice which again plagues the black community Mm -hmm. um another topic i guess (laughs) but interesting so everyone says oh well you know black people can be racist too you know um and i believe it's i'm not going to go into reverse racism because i just don't i'm not going to entertain that but what i will say is my grandfather what his mindset was in the jazz community was he wanted to integrate more white people into it he wanted it he advocated to end I'm not going to say reverse racism, but he advocated to end the, you know, the the racism from the African-American jazz musicians to the white, let's say, record labels, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then he ended up, not record labels, but the white patrons, I guess, Um, because he ended up trying to, I think he created his own record label. I couldn't quote what it is right now. Again, adopted father or grandfather, so, Um, or biological, but, but yeah, no, so. Race is crazy. It is. It's really crazy. Um, I was telling Whitney, I go, what's crazy about it is like Pharrell, right? Mm. Was big in, I couldn't even remember the date, but like maybe fix it on your podcast, but I'll say 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. You know, and it's like, damn, you're telling me that that's when the media started portraying black people as it being okay to skateboard? You know what I mean? With Pharrell getting big, and he was like one of the first big, in my mind, black, not baggy pant wearing, yeah. gangster leaning, mm-hmm. um, male role model in the black community. You know, he's wearing skinny jeans. He can ollie. You know what I mean? And I believe that that did a lot for the black community in regards to 
putting skateboards into the communities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just being like, look, this isn't just for Tony Hawk looking kids. You know, I remember my hardest thing, you look at my hair now, right? It's like an <laughs> afro. My hardest thing was wanting to like Blink-182 like every other white kid in my class, but not being able to have hair like Blink-182. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And just being like, but like, why can't I? And being like, oh man, I really wish I was that. Then, then okay, listening to G-Unit and being like, dang, why can't I get a lineup like that? Why can't I like, you know, why can't I just, why couldn't my mom have just been darker so I could just be more black so I could be part of the black community? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like just fighting all these things of, of why can't I be more this to be that or be accepted there? Mm-hmm. You know, and I just believe if we start ending all this, this is what you should do. You don't sound black. You don't talk. You talk white. Once we start ending this, you know, oh, you're Hispanic and you don't speak Spanish. You know, what's up with that? Like, we end this, then you start getting people talking to each other like, oh, yeah, a man was arrested by, you know, another policeman. Mm-hmm. But before we attack the stereotyping and, and it being okay, we're just going to have rinse repeat. You know, that's what I think. So biggest things communicate, just like every hard. If you want your players, and I stole this, right, and it's a great, great idea. Um, if you want your players to grow up, um and to find success at moving on at their next level, right, whether it's junior hockey, college level, um, they're going to have to have really tough conversations. They're going to have to be comfortable going to a coach and be like, why do you think I suck right now? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? But if you're not having these conversations with your kids, you're not having these conversations with your youth teams, and you're not preparing these kids for these these types of situations, you're never going to succeed in it, and you're going to be uncomfortable, and you're going to be okay with the norm. You know what I mean? You're going to be okay with getting third-line minutes. Like You're going to be okay with that. You know, just like a guy would be okay with another person being racist, but it wasn't me who said it. You know? Yeah. And it's it goes hand in hand. You just got to communicate, I think, is the biggest thing. I agree with that 100%. Um, I thought I would finish up our yeah, interview. Sorry, I <laughs> I thought I would finish up our interview with some rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so get excited. Oh, shit. <laughs> Favorite kid to coach? Oh. <laughs> oh, you're going to go there. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Well, <laughs> so I'll put a name out there, right? And okay. I will say this, too. Um, there's an asterisk, right? Because I've gotten many. It was the first of this type of player, right? Yeah. And, and I've had many to follow. Or I'm not going to say many to follow, but I've had a handful others who are similar. Um, and that's why I like them. Um, Tyler McNeil. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, and I would say hand in hand with Tyler McNeil would be Anthony LeRae. Um, oh, my gosh. And there's Britt McNichol. So many. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I I love them all. Um, but what I will say, what I liked about the names I just mentioned, Ben Palmersheim, Ian Bowman, I'm just going to keep going. Chase yeah. Seacrest, um, um, obviously Eric Larson, Zach Dill. <laughs> I love Jack Barecki. Um, but what I will say, and I'm sure there's some that I haven't mentioned who might get hurt, right? Um, Bryce Dunnigan, Kate Schufelbein, um, is obviously Jacob Nordorf is... What sticks out to, about me, Tyler McNeil, was his compulsiveness to want to be the best. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, his desire to compete 
and, and the names that I, I listed, um, that's what I loved about them. You know, it was, they pushed me. You know, like there were days where, where, there are days where you really look at yourself and you go, am I, am I any good at what I'm doing? You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's healthy. I think it's good. I think, I think it's good to look in the mirror um, as much as possible, you know, to, to, and wonder. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'll say right now, Tyler McNeil is one of my favorite players because um, he was my first stepping stone, I want to say, into like really breaking a player's play down mm-hmm. um, through video and just just trying to get the most out of him, right? And where, where he would also try to get the most out of me. And it was one of those where he would call me on a Saturday morning, hey, can we go through this? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like it was like the first time I had that type of a bond and a relationship as a coach with a player where mm-hmm. here we are doing film, here we are watching, here we are on the ice looking at his shot, you know, here we are breaking it down. Why are you having guys block the shot? You know, you have such a great release. Hey, how can we tweet this release? What can we come out of this? And he, working with him, taught me my my method to, to helping guys with their shot release, right? Yeah. Um, which I'm not going to get into because I love the way I teach it and <laughs> and I found a lot of success with it. Um, and most importantly, players have found success with it um, at the higher levels. So I would say Tyler McNeil stands out because he was definitely the stepping stone to just being at that, working with that elite level of player, right? For a whole year. Obviously, working with Tyler Dill in the summers, um, you know, was is the true, probably development, self development. Yeah. Right. You know, because me and him bounce ideas off each other all the time. Um, I laugh when we're out there together. You know, because it's like who's coaching who. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? At times with him, um, you know, I'll throw an idea out there. He'll come up with a great way to tweak it. He'll throw an idea. I'll come up with a great way to tweak it. Like like me and me and Dill have a great. Um, relationship I feel that way um, on the ice but as far as for season in season definitely Tyler McNeil I threw that question in there because I honestly thought that you would be like oh I can't answer that one like no really? yeah. I probably so should have that was like a better answer than I was expecting <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> I probably should have okay next question favorite rank to play in um I'd have to say big one. I went out in Foxborough. Um, I want to say when I was there, it was like eight, like eight sheets. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Never I been say there. It was called the Foxborough Sportsplex. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I'm, I, someone will probably find out that I'm wrong, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's out in Foxborough. That's my favorite one to play in. And then coaching. I love Blaine. Blaine. I mean, I don't know if it's just because like I've, like we've spent our last four years there. Um, Blaine. Um, if we're not playing at home. But, yeah, playing in definitely Foxborough. Favorite person you played with? Um, I'd have to say it was this player, uh, Zach Flashner. He was probably one of the funniest teammates I'd ever had. I, I want to say one year he wore a bubble with sports goggles that were not even like they were not um what do they call me um they were unfocused right they were just plain sports goggles no 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 sight vision problems just 
<laughs> I think it wore the year just for the like for the sty, right? Like and and he had the <laughs> meanest toe drag. <laughs> he had the meanest toe drag. Jeez. Team with the best jersey. Um I played for this we were a junior so we play in like the, the Chowder Cup and, and the Beantown Classic, um Hockey Night in Boston, right? Mm-hmm. Um it was called the California Cool Cats. Um, some notable names that were on the roster were my buddy Simbot Deptidarian. Um, he ended up playing out in, I want to say, Worcester, Worcester State. Um, you know, we had a guy, really cool kid, uh, Josh Romani. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say he was at Berkshire at the time and then went on to um, RPI. Um, now he's, I want to say he's playing out in Germany. Um, I want to say the biggest name was probably Kevin Miller. Um, who even at that time was just an absolute just unit, you know, um, mean guy. Um, Eddie Fritz, he's our goalie coach right now. He was our goalie for the team. He was he was always a good locker room guy. Um, but yeah, I'd say California Cool Cats. It was neon orange. Um, we used to lie and be like, oh, we were sponsored by Cheetos, right? Because <laughs> the cat on the front looked just like Chester the Cheeto. Okay. You know what I mean? From yeah, the yeah. Cheetos bag. But yeah, they were neon orange. And I, they, I remember I asked the coach, I go, dude, these are obnoxious. <laughs> like, what was your thought? Like, what's the thinking behind it? He goes, dude, orange. Anytime you go into the corner of the guy, one looks like two. You're bright. <laughs> and I was like, all right. <laughs> you know, that's cool. <laughs> Um, but definitely California Cool Cats have the, the, the sweetest jerseys, um, <laughs> I think. Favorite move? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you already know this. Backhand toey for days. <laughs> um, all in all, I think, yeah, it was definitely, you know, backhand jab, like jabbing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never a speedster, so I like using my stops and starts. Um... So definitely maybe like a fake jab to the middle, pull between, you know, um, maybe escape out if you have to. Well, that might answer the next question, which is hands or speed? Oh, man, it's such a debate, right? Yep. Um, you have so much speed, you don't need hands, but if you have that much speed, you really want hands. <laughs> I'm a California guy. I'm going to go hands. Hands. <laughs> Favorite Sally? Um, no Sally. No Sally. No Sally. Favorite Sally, no Sally. <laughs> One time, um, we were just messing around. My buddy Simbot, um, same guys I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say we were playing, it must have been like a bad, like, terrible 18AA tournament. Um, and we were just messing around and we had scored a goal and we we'd, like talked about Sally's beforehand. And, and I told him, I go, dude, if I Sally, and I forget who had done it, and somebody had done it. Um, I don't know if it was done in the show or, or maybe college, but they had pretended like they were swimming, right? So I told my buddy Sam, I go, hey, dude, I scored, dude, I'm swimming. I am fucking diving. And score a goal, skated right up the boards, and I stare at the team, and I just look at them, I throw my stick down the ice, and I look at them, and I just put my hands together, like, you know, and I just go like a shark, and I just dove, and I just started just, I mean, going, like, kicking the whole nine. Um, and didn't get a penalty and, uh, don't know how, but yeah, just got back up. And then the next one, I want to say it was Simbot. It was same tournament. It was a terrible tournament. Um, Simbot scores and we just go to center ice and we just start 
like we we started kneeling down and handing him our sticks and he started pretending to sign them <laughs> but i would definitely <laughs> say the swimming swimming was the best love it um better players zach dill or eric larson <laughs> oh jeez, oh, all the hard ones <laughs> two different types of players um This is tough. <laughs> Are you passing? <laughs> I should. <laughs> I definitely should. Um, like I said, I don't think one of them's any better than the other. Um, I think they're both two different places. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, believe it or not, Larson, you know, lost, I think, the love of the game for a little bit. Um, and then kind of found it again. Where I believe Zach... You know, he's had an older brother who, who really went through the. He went to the 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 Rockies, right? Junior hockey, unsure. Um, you know, good U eighteen season, especially his major year. Um, but then Larson is, is is a natural athlete. You know what I mean? He could pick up cricket tomorrow. He'd probably be on the you know freaking Finnish yeah. sort of Swedish uh, cricket team. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas Zach, you know, has one of the hardest work ethics so I think they're both great players um they both create you know they both distribute um and they're both really smart but you know they're just two different players so I guess uh, that's my roundabout way of passing <laughs> <laughs> love it favorite tattoo oh oh my wife always makes fun of my uh my Michael Jordan quote here yeah which was Limits like fear are only illusions. Jesus. Talking about 18 and <laughs> chemical romance, right? Um, you know, I do like my sleeve, but I think deep down, I really like this skull with hearts. And I thought it was just really well done, and the guy freehanded it, and I've always really liked that. Um, the unfortunate side is it's next to my wife's favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, limits like fear are only illusions. <laughs> so... I would say skull. The skull. And the last question, maybe the hardest question. Uh-oh. Which daughter do you think is going to be the better hockey player, so, Skylar or Birdie? <laughs> Skylar is reckless, right? Yeah. Um, I honestly, and, and I may be wrong, right? Um, I think Birdie. I think for some reason Birdie just has... I mean, obviously, it's tough to tell. Yeah. But, you know, Skylar, I think she likes, Skylar likes it because I like it, you know, and she does it because I do it. But Birdie just, without anybody saying anything, she goes and she'll, she just, she just, she likes it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, she'll watch it more than Skylar's show. I don't know. I think Birdie. Birdie. I think she's going to surprise everybody. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> oh, my God. I, what I can't wait for, though, is to watch Skylar. I can't wait to see her play soon. Um. Whatever that is, right? I never... First time we went to the rink, she was scared of it. Really? You know? Yeah, it was loud. It was scary. Yeah. You know, so I just brought her in. She goes, no, I want to leave. And I said, yeah, let's go. So we left. You know, I never forced it um, on her. I always wanted it to be something she wanted to do, right? Like mm-hmm. yesterday, um, playing the roller game. Like I said, hey, you want to come with me? I'm going at four. She goes, yeah, no, I, I really want to go. You know, and so, you know, I hear her talking to her friends about it. So I know, like, when the, when the time comes... <laughs> She's gonna do it. She's gonna play, and I'm excited to to just watch. I'm excited to watch her journey. Yeah, right? I really am. Um, whichever, whichever way it goes, you know, D1 full ride, 
Um, or not. But most likely D1 full right. No. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like I said, I'm just, I'm excited to watch her journey through, if she chooses to play hockey, I'm excited to watch her journey through hockey. Mm-hmm. But I, deep down, I'm excited to watch her journey through sports. Like, she's just an athletic little little thing, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm excited. Perfect. Any finishing words here? Um, no, I think what you're doing is awesome. Thank you. Know? you. Um, I appreciate you giving me a little bit of time. I know I, I ramble a lot, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm sure this probably took a lot longer than you thought. Um, but no, I, I appreciate you having me on here. You know, you've had some pretty good, cool, cool guys, great players on here, so I... I I was a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> a lot to follow up. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Of course. I'm excited to release this one and see where the rest of it all goes. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have a tough time editing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah.